Let me guess. Fate of the Undead, right? Um, we should maybe have like a standard thing we say at the beginning, but today is not that day. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to I Will Talk. Uh, I'm your host, Grace, and I'm with my co-host, uh, Cole. Hi, I'm, I'm Cole. Hello. I mean, we're both co-hosts. I feel like I said this last time, too, but, uh, you know, I wanted to refer we are equal partners. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we're just talking about the the media and stuff that we've been doing. It's been, uh, I think, a little while since we recorded, so we have a, a whole dang list here of stuff to talk about. Very much so. Um, yeah, which I'm excited about. We're uh, I think we're going to kick it off with Clone Wars because I think it's in the the idle talk devil's contract that we and Cole both signed that we have to talk about to at least one soon. Um, but I, I actually, I haven't been watching Clone Wars, but Cole has been. Uh, so Cole, why don't you tell me? I've been watching a yeah. lot of Clone Wars. Um, yeah, I guess when the final season aired, I sort of realized that I hadn't caught up. So I said, instead of catching up, I'll just start over. <laughs> probably not the smart choice, but we're in the quarantine times. So no, I've, time uh... is all I have. I have been there. I mean, this is. I was like, I was literally like, oh, I'm gonna play like the 3D Final Fantasies. Um, so I'll start at seven and then go through those, and then eventually at some point I was like, no, I'll go back and play all of them. <laughs> so um, the gamer's burden. Oh God, <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, no, I've been watching Clone Wars. It's some of the early guns are uh, pretty hit or miss. Yeah, um, like that first two seasons. Or a little here and there, but I'm on season four now. Uh, shit, we're pro- you. Uh, sorry, you're probably gonna hear fireworks on my end. Oh, that's that's all right. We can figure it out. It's it's that time of year. It's so it's it's been starting here at like four p.m. every day. That's wow. Yeah. Like yeah. the thing is, it's um well, limited experience. Like fireworks culture is significantly less intense where I have been than like in Germany. Where yeah. It's like. The, at New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, you'll like walk around the streets and it's just like strewn with fireworks everywhere. Yeah, no. And um, the part of town, the part of the, my city that I live in, uh, usually on like normal weekdays, you'll hear gun, you'll hear some gunshots every now and again, and sometimes they'll be closer than not. So, and I've never been used. I never, I didn't like grow up in the country or like the city or anything, so I'm not used to hearing gunshots. So I'm still a little jumpy about yeah. that. But you, you can usually tell the difference between fireworks, but sometimes it's sort of like a flip of the coin of which is which. Yeah, well, I remember uh, I was in England for Guy Fawkes Day, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if I, like, totally clocked. And so I just remember, like, waking up in the night, which to me sounded like a shotgun blast, <laughs> but was undoubtedly just some folks doing fireworks. Um, but I was also, like, yeah, I was, like, 12. Yeah. So... But, uh, um, but yeah, Clone Wars. Clone Wars. Yeah, so I'm on season four, and I just finished the uh, Calamari people arc of the undersea yeah. kingdom and the young prince trying to stop the separatist sharks. Evil sharks. Yeah, the the sharks are bad, actually. Yeah. Sh- <laughs> they, did bring in, they did bring in Sheriff Brody to handle them. That's oh, wait. What's the Jaws yeah. reference? Oh, okay. Sorry. I was like trying to remember if there was some super cop that got called in to <laughs> yeah i mean i guess that's the jedi right the jedi are the super cops that get called yeah, in to handle yeah, the... they bring in anakin and the green guy with uh who's adept underwater i forget his name oh i he gets shanked by um palpatine in episode three 
Kit yeah. Fisto. Yeah, Kit Fisto. He's a good swimmer. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. I think he also comes from an underwater world. Uh, yeah, so. that uh, that arc's cool. It's fine. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember, like, because, like, I have very vivid memories of a few arcs, but, like, mm-hmm. seasons kind of blur together. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you're also getting towards the end of the wonky timeline stuff. Yeah, no, I am, which is good. But, uh, yeah, no, that arc is, it's fine. There's some cool bits. Um, the best being you get to see Gungan's halo drop from orbit to save the day in this on this underwater planet. <laughs> yeah. Like some yeah, commandos. I, I, I kind of like the, like, international solidarity stuff. Although it also gets, Clone Wars, I think, um, like, me, me and Emma, when we watch, uh, like, the cartoon shows all the time, we'll be like, Last Jedi invented nothing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Last Jedi did not invent is, like, the absolutely weird time scale of Star yeah. Wars, where it's like they'll be waiting on someone to, like, hyper jump in. And it's like, wait, but they were just like, like, how long does all this take? <laughs> it seemed like it was at least a long drive and a new hope to get somewhere. But in the Clone Wars, it's it's, it's you know. pretty quick. They got good engines. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, I don't I have a bunch to say about the Clone. Like, I haven't reached any of the truly standout arcs. I mean, I've done, I I I watched the the Prison Break arc, which is really good, with the uh, um, Grand Moff Tarkin shows up in that oh yeah wait that's in the end of season three. Oh yes i do remember that okay yes the grandma of tarkin stuff in that is cool i like how explicit the show gets that like the republic just had a bunch of yeah. fascists and there. it shows it shows how like anakin is like hmm, maybe his grandma of tarkin guy is on to something <laughs> yeah so it's like wink wink nudge nudge shove shove yeah. look what's gonna happen look what's gonna happen i mean the thing is i think a lot of the foreshadowing stuff in that is actually really satisfying yeah um even though it's like, like Anakin is, um, like Anakin is, and I think not entirely unintentionally, although there is a, is like just such a shithead in Attack of the Clones, especially, mm-hmm. um, that you're kind of like, yeah, of course this guy goes to the dark side. <laughs> like, how am I supposed to be sad about this? <laughs> um, but you are sad anyway, because it's good. They're yeah. good movies. So, but I, I just like the, the like weird dad relationship Ahsoka has with him is very cute, I think, and very like, um, adds a lot of stuff to star wars even though it like becomes like i don't know star wars i always have to take star wars like for a bit of a distance because if you take it too literally it's like what like anakin kills all these kids <laughs> but he's also like ahsoka's yeah, like a kind father. of dad and then you know yeah and then he's like good to be you know redeemed yeah. um but this stuff is good the thing is i'm not i'm not trying to be like Listen, I like Return of the Jedi. I'm not out here trying to be like, stuff's bad. Um, but yeah, but um, you know, yeah. I guess if we wanted to, we could dive into the, the Mortis arc. Which um, yeah, not that it's like a standout part of the show in any way. Just that we have pretty different opinions on it. Yeah. Well, so the Mortis arc is like, um, basically, they go to the the I don't know the Force planet. It's the Force yeah, it's planet. Yeah, like it's like the nexus of the Force, where yeah. there's like literal human embodiments of the light side and the dark side yeah so this is and the and the balance too who's yeah, their dad the old, the old dude. yeah and then you're the dark side is like goth team the thing is i that's yeah, sort of where like it's an old republic villain yeah he does he absolutely does um and he turns into a bat he, uh, so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um the thing that kind of rubs me wrong about that arc is like i i've always sort of read the 
Um, and I understand this is like probably not canonical, but like, I don't care. The light side, dark side are like ways to interpret like the natural thing that is the force and not like actual tangible things that exist, right? Like there's not mm-hmm. a light side or dark side. It's the Jedi and the Sith like reading into things that they experience through this like very strange and like, able to fully be understood um, device. And some of the stuff in Clone Wars, I think, uh, works for me. Like actually weirdly enough, there's a Yoda arc in season six. Um, which is kind of hit or miss, but has some cool force stuff in it. Um, Mm -hmm. and you also get Yoda leveraging Anakin's wild ways to like leave the, to like go off on his adventure, which is fun. Um, that's good. But yeah, but, uh, but that's sort of the thing that bothers me about the Mortis arc is that it's like these like human personifications of concepts that I like do not find interesting in the first place. Right. Yeah. No, it's that it's definitely like super, super cut and dry, but yeah, I guess in the grand scheme of the show, um, why I found it at least mildly compelling was that it's just like it's just straight up like a trash, trashy fantasy novel. It feels like an episode of like He Man almost. It's so on the nose and yeah. Well, and the thing is, sometimes that like I I kind of like the bit where Anakin like finds out that he's going to become Darth Vader and like wants to prevent it from happening. Yeah, um, no, there's some good stuff in that. Like I think that's cool. And that's some good character work. But also, I really hate the the Chosen One stuff only really works for me conceptually if it's, like, something the Jedi believe that is false, <laughs> that is not real, and that they're sort of, like, putting this, like, just totally clueless, innocent kid under the weight of, right? Um, so if it's, like, oh, no, like, Anakin had to become Darth Vader in order to, you know, save the galaxy or whatever. I'm just like, no, he did not. That's bullshit. And I hate this. Did- did he save the galaxy? I mean, the Emperor returns in the tit- in the titular film, The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, but in that movie, he does say, "Ray, you must bring balance to the Force," like I did. Um, so, interpret for yourself, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, I, that's one of the things is like, what does bring balance to the Force mean? And I kind of like the like the irony of bringing balance to the force meaning oh there were a bunch of jedi and two sith and now there's like two jedi and two sith that's the balance (laughs) right like and that's not i don't think that's necessarily literally what it is but i think that like lampshading is kind of fun um and so then for rise of skywalker to be like no it's like it's all real prophecy man um (laughs) <laughs> anyway we don't need to talk about that but i feel like the mortis arc has similar energy to me in some ways um maybe that's unfair well, I think, to it i think but, there's some um it's very good small moments and like a lot of the larger scale stuff it does is like dumb like i don't like how these people can shape shift i think that's stupid um the whole father dynamic with the the light daughter and the dark son is um very dumb like maybe yeah that, i don't know maybe the arc is bad <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm talking you into um, it, um, but like, there's some, there's just, there's just, there's some smaller moments. Like there's a part where Ahsoka is working on the ship, and Obi Wan like makes her a cup of coffee, and I like that. I guess. Yeah. Well, I also like you don't get a ton of episodes where it's those three together. Yeah, you really don't. Right. Especially as it goes on. Mm-hmm. And that um, that dynamic is like a really good one, mm-hmm. I think, um, and one that's really like refreshing to. Yeah. Uh, to see and there's like some good stuff with that i also like there i mean there's like a tumblr meme where people were screenshot that part where like 
Obi-Wan's like, as long as we stick together, everything will be all right. And then it's, you know, screenshots from Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. <laughs> right. Jeez. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess the arc is bad because I'm thinking about how it ends and it's like them waking up and knowing it happened, but also like sort of implying that it was a, a dream just to sort of like hand wave off this like sort of colossal lore dump that happened over the past two episodes. So like they're not super significant yeah. again. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like Anakin obviously can't know about Darth Vader. Yeah, that and, like, you know messes everything up. And yeah, and I think the stuff that's that's super compelling to me about Clone Wars is how it fleshes out sort of material stuff. That like you get, you know, so much more time with the clones. You get like a lot of sense of like this is how the world is like functioning and existing. Like there's even an early episode that isn't like that great. That's but the, like about here's the hospital where clones yeah. are, and like. You know, there's like this sense, and that also that that stuff comes back in Rebels in a really satisfying mm-hmm. way, right? This sense of like, um, like I, I think it's something that's missing from Star Wars, and I don't think that's necessarily bad because I do think that Star Wars works better as sort of like, um, like sort of grand like space fantasy spiritual narratives as opposed yeah. to like hard science fiction, right? But that touch of it that Clone Wars adds is, I think, really compelling. Um, and I think when it does, especially when it does force stuff in conjunction with that, like a lot of the Ahsoka stuff feels like that to me. Um, it is really great, but sort of steps away from that. And it's like, oh, we're going to do this really abstract, like sort of navel gazing force stuff. It just doesn't, it's just like, that's not what I'm here for with the show. Right. Um, like I'll just watch the Dagobah sequences from Empire Strikes Back again. Those are yeah, good. Those are very good. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I guess just on the last, the last bit on Clone Wars, uh, to bring up is, I don't know, I find myself not, I think about, I think about the recruits arc a lot. Yeah. I think that arc is very good. That's the, uh, the one on Camino, right? Yeah. Where it just focuses on like the teen clones. Yeah. A few episodes, which is very I think it's a good arc. Yeah. I, I think the stuff with, um, 99 is the like disabled clone. Yeah. Um, that stuff is like I don't really know how to feel about it, but it's really interesting. I think, man, it's good. Uh, I have you have you seen the um, have you seen the episodes about fives? Um, like him figuring out Order sixty six. Mm-mm, not yet. Ah, uh, oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> it's there's some stuff. I don't yeah, I don't want to spoil it exactly, but there's just some really ah, it's some good stuff. I mean, um, I'm gonna probably I'm pretty much binge watching it at this point. Yeah, so. well, if you're, you're in season four, you'll get there soon enough. And like, and also, I think five is just some of the strongest stuff in the show. Um, yeah, like the finale is maybe my favorite Star Wars thing. Uh, or like it, mm-hmm. it's one of the ones in rotation. Yeah. Um, and then I also really like the. Uh, I mean, yeah, weirdly enough, I like the Savage and Ball stuff a lot. I think that stuff is good. Um, Definitely. I also though, forgot how like they tease that in three, and they don't they don't start fleshing it out until like pretty much like far into season four. Yeah, There's a big gap. Yeah, I know it is. Well, I remember being like, oh, Maul's going to show up, and then it takes a while. Yeah, <laughs> It takes um, like four, it takes 30 episodes. But it's also, this, this is the thing, is I, like, I mean, yeah, we can, I don't know. The Maul stuff is good, because I think it, it takes it in such a surprising direction, where it, um like, Maul's just really traumatized, basically, <laughs> and is, like, responding to that trauma in, like, horrible and destructive ways, right? Um yeah, because it would be it would be so easy for them to just do like look the cool villains back, right? Um, yeah, 
and they just don't. They, they, do yeah, they could easily have done what uh, happens in Solo with the mall. They, okay, the fireworks are. Can you hear this? Yes, I can. Yeah. If you, that's really all I got on Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that I think the show's good. Yeah, and I'd love to talk about it more once I actually wrap it up because I know that that the last season, especially the last four episodes, will. I'll have things to say. Yeah, we've already talked about them a bit on the show, in fact. But uh, yeah, we, I mean, but I I love to revisit them. I think they're yeah. I just think like some of the stuff is just some of the best storytelling that Star Wars has ever done. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Because um, I don't know, in a way, it feels like the st- it's like it takes the feel and the tone and the breadth of the Star Wars novels and just visualizes them in a way. Yeah, well, especially especially later, the show gets so visually strong. This um, <laughs> starts out looking like a '90s Pixar movie. Oh no, it does not look good. I think <laughs> at the beginning, um, but there's just some stuff that just gets really, uh, really great. Um, yeah. Especially uh, season seven, especially is like they got yeah, the saw, Disney money. Oh um, yeah, I saw a gift the other day, and I'm pretty sure it's from Clone Wars, not Rebels, because I've yeah. seen Rebels and I don't remember this part. But there, it looks like it's a gift of a a Jedi with two double-sided lightsabers busting through like a high window oh. and it's lit so well. You it's haven't just... seen those episodes? No. Ah, oh, <laughs> those are so good. Oh, I'll I'm get, so I'll excited for you. Oh, this is like the best clone shit. Ah. Oh, I'm so <laughs> pumped. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, there's an episode that's like basically centered around clones and like this Jedi general who keeps like giving them suicidal orders and stuff. It's, um, Jeez. It is top notch Clone Wars. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, and that has some really striking visual stuff too. Um, it's good. It's good. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, speaking of things we're watching, I mean, it's been uh, a little bit, but I watched uh, Greta Gerwig's Little Women uh, a couple weeks ago. Great movie. Yeah, I really, I really liked it. Um, the only stuff I didn't really care for was the uh, there's some like very like girl boss feminism in it. Um, yeah, that, um, uh, and yeah, it's not like it's not terrible because it is like earnest, and also, mm-hmm. um, it's not like any of these women really become bosses anyway. You know, <laughs> like it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not, uh, you know that. But it, but it's just there is some like very looking to the camera stuff that uh, feels kind of off to me. But yeah. it's just so warm and it's so it's like sumptuous. Yeah, it really is. Well, it's also just like this. Um, I mean, I also really liked the editing uh, stuff, mm-hmm. the nonlinear, like the fact that uh, I guess I mean spoilers for Little Women, but uh, it's a very old book. <laughs> um, <laughs> Beth's death becomes like this moment where all of time revolves around, right? Like the whole movie kind of splits on that point. Um, yeah. and I think that's just such a beautiful, like, I don't know exactly like cinematic metaphor for what is happening. Right. Um, it's really, it's just super cool and impactful. And like, it's a, it's, it's a way of like doing, cause you know, this is a story that's been adapted several times. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think like just in 2018 or maybe also 2019, the BBC did a like production of it. Um, and like. You know, you always got the 90, 93 or ninety four. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, which I should also uh, watch. Uh, yeah, we watched. My girlfriend and I watched that before we went and saw this one, and we were both just like pretty much blown away because um, we came into it excited for it because I mean it's a new Greta Gerwig movie and the cast was stacked. Yeah, 
But uh, we, we both really do not like um, Lady Bird. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I haven't seen. Um, so mm-hmm. I have no Lady Bird takes. Um, yeah, but then we saw Little Women and it was still kind of floored us. And I remember it was like a rainy afternoon uh, in December when we saw it. Yeah. And we had just, or I know I had just come off of some bad news and it was like 1 p.m. And we were just like, we should, let's just go to the movies. And it was just one of those things that you just, we sort of got like, it was like a big warm blanket just got pressed yeah. over us for like two and a mm-hmm. half hours. Um, yeah, well, I think it, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to speak to some of the, the, the smaller moments that sort of stuck out yeah, to me. Yeah, go ahead. I think, I think my favorite part is the scene where um, Beth is playing the piano and it sort of, um, the camera sort of just moves out from the piano room to the stairs where that. Uh, oh, yeah, the where the benefactor. Sitting on the stairs. Oh, yeah. it's so good. It really is. And then, I mean, if we're talking Little Women, we got to talk about the Bob Odin. Oden- <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> which I don't know, because like, I, I, I have been primed for him just kind of showing up, right? And so I, don't, I honestly don't know if I would see that scene and be like, oh, there's Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> um, but that was how I reacted, because that was how people on Twitter reacted to it, right? So uh, Yeah. I just remember in theories, I was like, what the? I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> there's my Little Women. <laughs> <laughs> there's Chappie. That's chappy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I just think like the, it's it's such a weird beat, and I don't think it's like poorly executed or anything like that because his absence is so poignantly felt, mm-hmm. and then you're kind of like, oh, it's this this guy, <laughs> that guy, um, and I don't know why it hit that way to me, but it yeah. did. Yeah, and there are like um, wide swaths of the movie that fe- it, like in some ways it's more upbeat in a sense, but it it feels like a Jane Campion film in a lot of ways. Like especially, I don't know if you've seen that piano, but there, no. a lot of the beach scenes in Little Women echo some of the opening beach moments in the piano. Of just like yeah. sort of wind well, also sandy, overcast beaches. Yeah, well, that's something that's cool. I mean, like it's not subtle exactly, right? But like the way the world is just brighter when they're younger. Yeah. Right. Um, like it's color graded or like you know whatever. Um. So everything just seems more luminous. And there's like a couple shots where it's like they're at the beach, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like them younger. And so it's like really bright and beautiful. It's a sunny day. And then it cuts to, I think, a Beth and, oh my gosh, I can't believe I remember. I don't remember Satish Ronan's character's name. Um, little. But little thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's little woman right there. <laughs> um, but... Uh, you know, they're sitting on the beach and it's overcast and sort of and the shots instantly become like a little more distant or like, um, you know, like a little angular is maybe not the right mm-hmm. way to describe it, but like more jink. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It's very, it's very well done, I think. And, um, and I also just, this is the thing is like, like if you look at my box top four, for example, it's all movies about girls living their life. <laughs> <laughs> and like to, to some to you know to varying degrees right like i think firewalk with me is on there uh which doesn't quite <laughs> <Jesus>. call <laughs> um, but there is like an element of like someone be like just being right and like especially like someone growing up right um yeah and like that so like i'm just like a sucker for this thing right like i love kiki right mm-hmm. um i love hour of the star have you seen su- great- have you seen support the girls no, uh, me and Emma might watch it for our labor season. Oh, nice. We're trying to figure out what movies we want to cut. It's on Hulu, I know that for a fact. Because I've watched. Okay. I watch it 
somewhat frequently. That movie's incredible. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. Um, and I'm all about, I don't know. I watched, uh, I also watched Hustlers. This was a while ago. Me and I watched Hustlers. Oh, yeah. Uh, that came out. I forgot about that. Yeah, which kind of bummed me out, but also had a lot of good girl stuff in it. Yeah. Um, it's very, like, um, that movie is, like, frustrating about sex work despite being a movie about strippers and, like, portrays them very positively. Uh, but it's got, I don't know, it's got some good stuff in it. Like, yeah. I think it's worth watching. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have, like, too much more Little Women. I also really like, um, this might be a hot take. I wasn't crazy about Florence Pugh in the, like, younger scenes. Um, although, mm-hmm. I maybe maybe this is just me reading. Because there's, like, an exuberance there that she projects, right? That feels very acted. But that's also just, like, who that person is, right? And that's supposed to be like that distance is supposed to be yeah. intentional. Um, but I, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when um, Rory talks to her about getting married for the first time and they're in Paris. And she just is kind of like, do not going to be your second choice after, you know, uh, Ronan's character again. And it's like, really, there's like a intensity yeah. there that I think is really, really great. Um, and that carries a lot of weight, I think. I feel like I do have a lot to say about this movie, but I just find it hard to talk about movies as opposed to writing about them. And like, because like I feel like when I write about movies, I can be more, I can think out what I'm gonna say and use my big cinema words. <laughs> but when I'm just talking about movies, I'm like, I don't know, that it, it, it's good. There's some <laughs> good parts, some good parts, there's some bad parts. <laughs> I mean, that's what film criticism is ultimately. Um, but yeah, it's good. I don't know. Like, I think it's. Um, I don't think I have much more to say about it. It's a very, it's a very good movie. You haven't seen it? I think it's worth a watch. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and watch the '93 one sometime. I know it was on. I don't know if it still is, but it was on HBO Go for a bit. Okay. Yeah, I don't really know. I also like, don't know if HBO Go is a thing anymore. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, presumably <laughs> it would just be on Max now or whatever. Um, yeah. Whatever. I'll have to talk to my because I don't. I think my parents my streaming services dropped my parents, um, so I'll have to see what's. Uh, I can get stuff set up on the Xbox, mm-hmm. the old Xbox. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess sort of following the film track. Yeah. Uh, I re my girlfriend and I sat down the other day and she watched it for the first time, but I rewatched it. We wa- we watched under this under the Silver Lake. Yeah, which is the It um, Follows director, right? Yeah, his sort of. It feels like an Altman movie. Oh, okay. In a lot of ways, it's sort of a freewheeling detective, burnt out, loser. Masculine, everything is seen through the lens of a man. Uh, film, and I remember when I first watched it, I was. It's very long, yeah. Um, and it's sort of just like one of those like sort of non-plot movies where there's a there's an answer that the detective or the sleuth is trying to get to, and he gets to it whenever, and it and it doesn't really mean much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which usually makes for the best detective, right? Movies, no, for sure. Like, if you're not if you're not making a movie about how the work of detectives is like fundamentally flawed and like destructive and what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know. But um no, that movie's just super, super, super nasty towards women and you're just you're spending two and a half hours with this fundamentally terrible, terrible human being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what he pretty much every woman in that movie is not like an an object, like both figuratively and just like straight up literally. Um there's a part early on that where like I wasn't really like bothered by it as some people were, but he like beats the shit out of some like twelve year olds, and it's like kind of graphic. Whoa. But I think the movie's very aware of like what it's doing, 
I'm just not sure a lot of the people who watched it were aware of yeah. what it's doing. I think I, the, the problem with a lot of movies that sort of try and um, like objectively or subjectively take down to show like the inherent flaws of masculinity and how gross like the male complex is in some right. ways. Um, I think the movies that are often best at doing that just sort of show it rather than having a character point out how gross all these actions are and Under the Silver Lake is one of those, one of those movies that does just just shows it just show it just lays it out yeah as something that is like this character just is and he's bad but he just is and i've the problem with movies like that which there's there are many and some of them are my favorite movies is the sort of like goodfellas complex where some people take away some people think that's glamorizing it or making it look really cool and some people take away the yeah. complete opposite it's, it's take a away tricky movies thing because like i've been because i'm i get very frustrated when um, I get frustrated generally by by critics who are like, this is, um, you know, like this represents something in the world that is like, um, like the way. So there's like, there's a differential between doing and how it, the movie works in the world, right? Um, and you kind of see that, like, I mean, this is yeah. like a dumb example, but like Last of Us is kind of like this, right? Where it's like, the degree to which this happens is is debatable right but like joel is definitely not like the hero of that story in the most simplistic way that you could read that um but apparently a lot of people did read it that way yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, yeah like, like joel you know good father and, loving man um, and then the element that's like the work is responsible for that reaction right um yeah which is that's like that's a that's definitely sort of the whip, like sort of film Twitter, like film yeah. Twitter. Parts of film Twitter's knee jerk reaction right. to a lot of. <laughs> I mean, but that's such a like movies, it's such I a guess. reductive way to describe it, right? But it's just, <laughs> but it's hard because I do think there is like an element of like how, yeah. um, how a movie works in the world is like a part of the text, right? And like the way people interact with it um, ends up shaping both how people interpret the work and how the thing is made, right? In the future, if it's serialized. Um, and that's like Absolutely. these are pretty, I think, open questions. And it's like you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is like, I'm not knocking Scorsese at all. But like it, you know, it makes sense to me that like his most successful films are about scumbag gangsters and like you know, and like Wolf of Wall Street. And then like you, he tries to make Silence, right? And that's a movie that does not get traction in May. Yeah. Um, Same thing with like Last Temptation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like that is um, indicative of like. Um, but I, I, but the thing is, I do think there is an element of like the thing. I, I, th this stuff is also tricky because I feel like there's a very easy, it's like classist way that's it's like, oh, people are going to college, right? People aren't, you know, reading Shakespeare and that can't understand Scorsese or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, which is obviously, obviously bullshit. But I do think there is an element of like, um, media. We're supposed to engage with media very uncritically, right? As like a, you know. And this is why stuff like like propaganda is like successful, I guess, as an ideological project. The fact that we have so many mm -hmm. cop shows is even though I bet like most of those cop shows, you could either be like, okay, this is fantastical in some way, like I'm going to separate myself from it, right? This is not represent how cops actually function, or is like deeply compromised and it's like showing how cops are actually a problem, right? Yeah. Um, in some fundamental way, um. You know, because yeah, I get, I get like, 
Because part of me is like, well, yeah, like people are like, we're not, I'm not watching any things with cops in it. I'm like, well, that's not, I don't think like it's the problem, right? But at the same time, yeah. it is a problem, right? It's still yeah. moving in the world in this way. And like negotiating that and sorting through that, I think is really complex. And I don't want to try and like reduce it. But I think it's like an active problem that comes up with stuff like uh, mm-hmm. the Silver Lake. Um, yeah, it sounds like, which I've not seen. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we, so I already watched it and she watched it for the first time. And we both just sort of just fell into it, like, I don't know. I I wouldn't go as far as to say I loved it, but I was thoroughly uh, like enraptured for two and a half hours. And yeah, to see him to see a movie that takes place in LA at such a ground level is always nice. And it like it deals with the sort of our modern lust for conspiracies and all that jazz. And there's some really mm-hmm. inspired moments. Um, particularly, there's a scene where uh, this person I think called like the Hobo King or something talks about how the coyotes run the city and if you see a coyote follow it and it'll take you somewhere special and so like there's a part where he follows a coyote the main character and played by andrew garfield um fantastically right. super smart means like loser gross um That's and great. he has some amazing line deliveries <laughs> like there's a part where he, he he's watching like cctv footage of someone getting murdered and he like he just de- delivers sort of like a like an oh shit in like just like the most pitch perfect way that like made me laugh very hard yeah uh uh-huh um because it's like this guy who like eats cereal and gets high all day reacting to like (laughs) that's like perfect because that's like i think the only andrew garfield movie i've seen is amazing spider-man um i mean he's in silence yeah which i still haven't seen oh um so yeah i the only scorsese movie i've seen is the departed (laughs) so i'm really oh my god <laughs> I know it's hey, it's the one it's the one my friends watched one day. I just got the rat um, that invited me. Got the rat. That rat. I love that rat. I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good movie, but I have immense affection for that CGI rat. Yeah, he's just trying his best. I just remember that was definitely a movie my dad watched like over and over and over and over. Yeah, I should watch Infernal Affairs sometime. Yeah, Infernal Affairs owns. Um, but just that, like, he's such an asshole in, in Amazing Spider-Man that, like, to hear him playing that in a more active way is, like, a satisfying idea to me. Yeah, no, um, it's, like, perfect cast. And there's, like, there's some, yeah. the casting in it is top-notch. Like, his, the closest thing he has to is a friend in that movie. It's played by Topher Grace, who's, like, this L.A. socialite fedora wearing his, like, gauges, and he, like, uses it. He uses a drone to, like, spy in, in like, women's windows. Oh, my God. And it's, like, it's also really good casting. <laughs> Isn't that just IRL Topher Grace? I actually don't know anything about Topher Grace. Neither do I. <laughs> I just know <laughs> so he like if that's... he makes fan cuts of like this, he made like a fan cut of the Star Wars movies that's supposed to be like genuinely very good. Oh yeah, I've heard about this. Um, okay, I, w- I was wondering like what. All right. Yeah, that I don't thing. know, but uh, yeah, I guess not to. I mean, I guess if I'm talking about it out of context, there's no spoilers because the movie doesn't. You can't. It's not. It's one of those movies you can't really spoil because there's not. Yeah. It takes a lot of turns and it has a lot of weird, shocking, like pull, like pulling the rug out from one of you moments. But talking about out of context just sounds like gibberish, pretty much. Yeah. Like there's a part where he follows this coyote to a thing, and then someone else tells him about a place in the hills where if you hop the fence, there's a rich man who lives there who writes music for a living. And he lets you frolic freely. Um. So Andrew Garfield ends up talking to this it's like this old man behind a piano and it's it looks like it's a young person in a lot of old person makeup to like just be creepier yeah um, and so him and andrew garfield talking and andrew garfield is like 
you wrote the songs for X Band, and I listened to their music backwards and found the message. And this guy is talking about how he's pretty much a middleman for like every conspiracy thing in the world. How he's been writing these weird messages and cryptic things in the, in the music since like time immemorial, pretty much. Like he goes on this huge tirade yeah. of talking about how he wrote this, and he starts on the piano, he starts playing Nirvana song, and how he wrote that, and then he starts playing like a Be- like Beethoven, pretty much. Um, it's weird uh, but like, that scene is incredible yeah no, that's, that's and it's mostly delivering yeah. close-ups of the old man's face like a, a reaction shot of Andrew Garfield and close-ups of this old man's fingers like running over the piano um, yeah it's just it's good it's a good movie I think yeah have you um, for some reason this reminded me of have you read like Matt Fraction's Hawkeye is run on Hawkeye no I have not um, yeah I think you would vibe there's this is like very different um but like there's a whole sequence where Kate Bishop is in LA and there's stuff with like a composer and a conspiracy and stuff. And yeah, so, sounds cool. It's good. That's a really yeah, good I think series. I've read somewhere though. That's good. Yeah, I know they talked about it on Waypoint. Uh, maybe a that's while ago. Yeah, maybe so. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah, but it's also like it's kind of a cool classic. It's good stuff. Yeah, and there's some really good camera work under so like it definitely. It feels like the, this dude just went. I, I can't think. I'll look. I'll look up his name. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Follows. Um, He's, he just sort of went for it. David Robert Mitchell. Yeah. David Robert Mitchell. He just sort of went for it. Like, it is... Watching it, it's hard to think that it got the money it got and the backing it got. And then it's also very not unsurprising that A24 sort of unceremoniously released it on VOD a while ago. Right, yeah. <laughs> because it's a pretty confounding movie. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like... And I feel like... I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like A24 deals in sort of a, like, um, the everyman's uh, art movie. Yeah, Um, it's sort of your, like, freshman film class indie cinema um, kind of vibes. And this is Under the Silver Lake, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Under the Silver Lake is very much not that. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I, I, you know, I think Moonlight is a great movie. Yeah, (laughs) same. I like like a decent amount of... Uh, A24's work yeah or not uh, their work the, the not their work but the stuff they produce yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess on speaking on that slip up I also hate how they're the sort of like monolithic the image they've created for themselves in this in these cinema spaces is something I find very grating yeah it's very it sucks the op- it's like sucks of... the option out of the option yeah. of um, sort of the state of indie cinema at the moment like there's a lot more than A24 happening yeah what is also just like there's the brand power is like real and seeing that like you know you want like in theoretically indie cinema you want to try and start moving away from Mm -hmm. that right um and so to see someone like curating that really aggressively is uh can be frustrating yeah i think i mean if it takes if it takes an a24 to get us more safety brothers movies than i'm willing to you know i mean (laughs) i should really watch good time um, yeah, Good Time is really good. It's, I think it's on Netflix. And I was going to say, um, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, go ahead. I know it's on. I know it's streaming on Amazon Prime, which you shouldn't use Amazon Prime, but I get it. Um, I have it on. I bought the Blu-ray. It was like $6 on um, uh, Best Buy's website. So I just nice, yeah. bought it from there on a whim the other day. Uh, but yeah, no, it's really, it's really, it's good. I, I'd like to hear what you think of it, honestly, but... It's a commitment. It's long. I would like to watch more movies, but it's very... I also... I don't know if I told you this. I bought all the Resident Evil movies. Yeah, I saw... I think I saw you tweet about that. And I was like... Yeah. I mean... Well, because they they were on sale. Does that include the animated ones? 
Uh, no, it's just the it's the live action. Just the Paul the Paul Thomas the Paul Thomas Anderson ones. Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> yes, the PGA ones. Um, yeah, um, and I'm really excited because every everyone loves those movies that I talk to. Um, so hmm. I like. Uh, so the first one when I was little freaked me out. Yeah, it's 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 also weird because that first one. Um, I listened to so actually I'll just give a shout out here. Listen to the Cower Hour about it, which is uh, my friend. That's a, uh, that's a really Nora, good name. Yeah, <laughs> Nora and Briar's podcast about horror movies. Um, mm-hmm. They had uh, Jackson of Abnormal Mapping on that episode, and they were talking about how um, the movie—I don't know if Jackson specifically—but they the whole group is talking about how the movie was originally set in canon with the games. Weird. Um, like it was like a prequel to Resident Evil One or something. Um, and that's why you have like a new character, right? You have a character who's not, you know, um, any of the game characters, but then at some point, like, you know, before it got released or like after it got released, that sort of got severed from, uh, so it's just, yeah. So it has kind of a weird, interesting history, um, too. Uh, people like those animated ones too, right? I'm not sure. Um, I just remember seeing that clip where it's like Leon Kennedy and Chris Redfield fighting zombies and it's just straight up like. It's definitely a post John Wick action scene where like Leon Kennedy's like gun fooing zombies, and it's it's like dumb as shit. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's the thing is like Resident Evil's fucking stupid, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. Like there's you're not, you know that's and that's like it's that's not a knock against it, right? It's just camp, and that's like part of what is enjoyable about it. Um, yeah, there's a there's like a there's a theatricality and showmanship to the Resident Evil series. Yeah. It, um, Right, like, I mean, think about, like, the door in Resident Evil 1, right? Or the first three, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's, like um, it's like if horror had jazz hands. It's very... Yeah. There's a lot of pomp, and even even when it's at its, like, grimmest and darkest, first darkest Resident Evil... First darkest Resident Evil can, game can potentially get... There's, like, a... There's always a grin. It's just fun. Yeah. Well, like, that scene, the... I mean, I guess I haven't played uh, Resident Evil 7, but I've watched the dinner scene, right? Yeah, that, that scene's awesome. Um, it's just straight up... Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I, I, a horror movie I also should watch. <laughs> and that, movie, that movie is uh, so scary. Yeah. I, that's why I hear. I'm like, I horror movies don't get me yeah. too bad, but I also like don't watch yeah. them. So I mean, so maybe they I'll just stay on movies forever, but Who knows? Um, my girlfriend hasn't, she hasn't like, I guess she hasn't seen a bunch of movies. I guess. I mean, she's seen a lot of movies and has like a very refined taste, but she hasn't seen a lot of it feels dumb to say like old movies or whatever but right well maybe like movies in the canon yeah right? yeah or, and like uh, yeah that's not to say her taste in movies is bad or like lesser than mine anyway she's very like very good taste yeah. and like is very much her own person in that regard um but we've been watching a lot of old just old movies lately we've been sort of like curating this uh google sheet of movies i want to show her and then like old movies she's looked up and wants to watch like we just watched creature from the black lagoon and she loved that like she really she's been wanting to watch that for like oh months. cool and uh that movie owns i should um yeah i should watch it again because i watched it when i was like a really pretentious tween mm-hmm. i think and was like this movie does it's yeah, yeah she knows she, <laughs> she really wants to see pretty much all the universal horror stuff so from the 30s and then yeah um i guess um, i don't know who she, who she was talking to or maybe it was a podcast that she's listening to she listens to some movie podcasts she's like she added a bunch of hammer horror movies to the list like a a lot of christopher lee's dracula stuff oh dope um but yeah no so we watched i want to show her i was like this movie 
um, that I'm about to show you, I think is one of the scariest movies of all time. And it's from the 50s and it's all black and white. And I think it holds up as being like, just like unfathomably unnerving. And it was, so I, we watched Night at the Hunter and... Oh, Night of the Hunter is so good. <laughs> it is, that movie is so, so, so scary and uh, weird and... Yeah, like, I... Perfect. I would like to watch it again. Um, um, it's actually a movie I watched on a date, sort of. Yeah, so. the Criterion Blu-ray of it, uh, the supplements for it are really, really good. That's neat. And the transfer yeah. is great. Um, but yeah, right. It's so, such a yeah, we watched it's so that. beautiful. Yeah, it is. Um, really, it's so good, and it's like it's it is, it is really scary. Yeah, well, I I think the like that's what actually one of the most nuanced portrayals of religion that there is. I think in in um, cinema. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, can I also ask you like a weird question? Sure. Um, is so I I can do the right thing. I have not seen a Spike Lee movie. This is also a big hole. Um, mm-hmm. But is the beginning of do the right thing with the love hate yeah that's 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 night of the hunter uh spike lee talk spike lee talks about night of the hunter all the time like okay that's really interesting it's a very like formative um, film for him okay like, uh, yeah no i can imagine that but i was just wondering if that because like that uh yeah but the thing is it's so like that um the way that's leveraged in the movie when he's like charming the townspeople with the love hate written on his fingers right and like using that as this like is just so it's like this like watered down like simplified christianity right that's like instantly appealing but just masks like absolute horror yeah right which i which i, which I think um, would go as far as to describe a lot of the mega church christianity we see today yeah um, to, to, a, to an extent as much as i understand it and being a person who went to a mega church until he was like 13 yeah well, the thing is, I, I see a lot of... I mean, the thing is the... I mean, it's just there's lots of interesting stuff with gender, too, in that movie. Because you also have the the woman who's, like, this Christian motherly mm-hmm. figure, right? And then serves as, like, this immediate contrast to the evil pastor who's, like, hunting yeah. these kids. Um, like, that's... Anyway. It's, uh... Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a great movie. But, yeah, so I guess we... Yeah, we've just been on a super, like, pretty much pre-1970 um, film kick. Mainly West... Mainly, uh mainly uh western like english speaking films because right 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 just not super into um subtitles which i get but it's a bummer yeah it's um it's got, it could be a hurdle to like i mean for me it hasn't really been but like i know that for some people it's um it's stuff where it's hard to focus on both the subtitles and the image yeah right? no i i understand um, it um to a certain to a certain extent can't really be shaken of the belief that it definitely cuts out a lot of a lot of your chances of seeing like some of the best movies ever made but yeah well i think um you know there's obviously some ways to get around it and like some great form films have like pretty good dubs and yeah, stuff like yeah, that yeah. right like but, uh, but it is like a different experience yeah. right um like we watched the english dub of agire the wrath of god the herzog film when the english dub is bad oh yeah but, um like any herzog <laughs> film a lot of what that a lot of what is said isn't really the sort of pales in comparison to what he's showing, right? And, like, how he tells his stories. Yeah, uh, I so again, I've only seen one Herzog too, which is um, uh, Nosferatu. Uh, yeah, which owns. I uh, I got the um, Herzog, like his pretty much complete filmography Blu-ray set for my birthday last week. Oh, er, that's great! Er, I that's would that. love because I also love hearing him talk. Um. Yeah, he his <laughs> so, his new his new movie um, debuted on movie today. It's like a it's like a mixed form narrative documentary. Yeah. Thing. Well, also I should watch his Gorbachev interview thing. Yeah, meeting Gorbachev is good. 
I reviewed it. I yeah. reviewed it for Nonfix. Uh, oh, okay, cool. I should read that and then. Uh, yeah, I I I, I did um, a bunch of when I when I was in my sort of full time tenure over at Nonfix, which if you don't know is a subsidiary of like Film School Rejects and One Perfect Shot that is focused solely on documentaries. Um, a lot of what I was doing over there was pretty much any chance I could pitch something and like. Any week where I would I wasn't having to like review screeners, I was pretty much pitching any like Herzog stuff. So yeah, that's really cool. And um, which sort of culminated in the monumental task of I watched and ranked every single one of his um, documentary features. Uh, oh, that's right. I think I read that. Which yeah. is like a lot of movies because he's made so many documentaries. <laughs> he's just making so many movies. Well, yeah. This next this new one's a documentary too, right? About like it's yeah, it's like a mixed um, form. It's just, it's like a fiction mixed with documentary. Oh, uh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's cool. I. Uh, I got a screener for it last a few days ago. It's cool. It's it's definitely like mid tier Herzog, but even mid tier Herzog is still like great cinema. So, right. Is, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess we can wrap up uh, movies if you want. Yeah. To. No, I don't have. Uh, I haven't been watching much. I mean, I watched some stuff for the pod. Like I watched Salt of the Earth. Um, yeah. And uh, we're going to watch Man of Marble probably this weekend. Yeah, I kind of sent in questions, but I'm excited yeah. to watch that. Are you going to watch Man of Iron as well? Yes, I do. Or I guess oh. um, Man of... Is it Man of, is it Man of Steel? Because there's the cyberpunk, or I don't know if it's cyberpunk, but the science fiction horror Man of Iron. Um, That's Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yes, we are watching also Man yeah, of Iron, I, mean, I believe. Um, I would recommend just watching all of... Pretty much up to 1960, all of Andre Wajda's movies. Yeah. Like Ashes and Diamonds is amazing. Yeah. Um, um, Canal is incredible. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I would like, I would like to watch, just like to watch more movies. Um, I'm just pulling up. We have a letterbox list that's like all this stuff. I wonder, uh, mm-hmm. I really, really want to do this Jesus season that me and him have been talking about. <laughs> Um, I mean that sounds dope. Yeah, uh, and I've got a let me let me pull up my list here because this is the season's hour. Um, yes, we also got Man of Iron here. Um, so nice. there's yeah I, I don't know I'm wondering if we would watch all three Ben Hurs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this is the yeah. thing. Well, there's like also there's just some weird because like you've got these like like greatest story ever told, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, Day of Triumph, which is like yeah. both like big budget Jesus movies. Yeah, when right. when, you, when you brought up the Jesus movies, in my mind immediately went to the sort of uh, Scorsese, um, the like sort of Scorsese and Paul Schrader mode of right. making films that deal with God. And I, my mind wasn't immediately drawn to like the <laughs> sword and sandals epics of the 40s and 50s. Right. No, but then, but then also like we have Last Station of Christ on here and uh, yeah, the Milky Way, which is a uh, like I think French mm-hmm. movie. Like, um, would you watch like Diary of the Country Priest or First Reformed or anything? No, I think the, the criteria would be Jesus is literally in it. Uh, oh, okay. like that's the. It's not just Does like religion. Mean- but Does that mean you watch Dogma? I get. Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't. I, I didn't know that Dogma. <laughs> oh, oh. The titular Kevin Smith. Oh my film. god! I'm pretty sure it's on. 
Is it in the Criterion Collection? I it might be. I know. Uh, so I know Chase, Chasing Amy. Yeah, yeah, collection I know Chasing is, Amy yeah. is, which is. I mean, hey, you know, Yikes. I mean, I'm not necessarily a knock against Armageddon or The Rock, um, but they are both also in the Criterion Collection. So. They sure um, are. It was a uh, yeah Criterion. They were doing things in the '90s, the late '90s yeah. that. Um, I think they were trying to just get yeah. more exposure. I mean, I think I think you could do. I think you could do worse than Michael Bay, I will say, in terms of, like, movies you're putting into, like, a curative space, right? Um, yeah, no, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if I can take uh, three different versions of Ben-Hur. Um, I can maybe, I can maybe do two. Because, <laughs> I, you know, I vibe with Ben-Hur, the 50s ben there's some great ma- there's some great yeah ma- well and like movies. I just it's very homoerotic right um I like Charlton Heston what can I say what can I say about that hasn't been said about Charlton Heston um oh he's yeah. in in the mouth of madness he's in Weird's world 2 okay <laughs> um uh, yeah but uh yeah so I guess we can about games and stuff um I've been playing a smattering of throwing JRPGs. That's the mode I'm stuck in forever. Yeah, I'm in a different different mode. Yeah, well, I mean, you've been playing your automata a little bit, I guess, arguably. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I beat. I did, did the first run. Oh, okay, yeah. You're just giving yourself a little, some some room to breathe after the first. Uh... Yeah, I like I liked it. I don't. Know, I guess I don't know. It's um, it's weird because, so I mean, yeah, I like, spill the beans too much um on it. Um, but like part B is basically like explaining what happened. Part A, um, like a lot of it is like giving right. context to stuff that happens in the first ending. Yeah. Yeah. Which is I just don't yeah super think I I do, that game's not fun to play. Yeah. For me, and I could never really get over the character design. <laughs> I think that's I think those are fair um, things. Um, I had okay time with that combat. I don't know. Am I, I think I might have just been too hyped up in the discord the thing is it, it it's also yeah it's hard because i really feel like it doesn't sh- it doesn't really show its hand until late um it's like a big ask i think um to like get into what that game is doing um which is tough yeah and granted i've only i've only played that first run so it starts really really strong right like that opening sequence is really great i think um yeah, the game yeah. starts like the first three hours are amazing. And I think it's just hard because I, I both at once like I think the music is top notch and I love the like, I mean it's it, you know this is a bunch of games do this but like the way the music fades in and out different tracks when you're moving through different parts of the environment and like yeah no is the just, score is like arguably my favorite part yeah of the game. and it's I think it's and like even people who I who I know who like hate Nier Automata like love the score right it's kind of unambiguously mm-hmm. really great uh, at least you know from yeah. people I've talked to right um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think there's a lot about that game that, like, is, I mean, somewhat intentionally, but, like, abrasive, or at least, like, tedious, right? Um, yes, tedious is definitely the word. Yeah, right. and this is, like, I mean, I'm playing Dragon Guard right now, um, which is Yokotaro's first game. Yeah. Um, or at least first directed, right? Um, and, uh, and that's also a game that's, like, very, like, tedious and sort of interested in, like, violence as this, like, unending tedium of, like, bodies smashing against each other. Um, yeah, when you when you're talking about how you've been playing it, I went and watched the trailer for it. Um, yeah, it's a really pretty game. 
Yeah, it is. I like, although, I like the way it looks. Yeah, although it's it's so it's so gray, right? Um, Guard one that, is yeah. anyway, um, and like, but it has this really tremendous, I think, sense of scale and yeah. like endlessness. Um, there's a lot of like verdi spaces that are like filled with soldiers, and it's one thing that's really cool about it because the the game, one of the game's obvious like influences or at least like in conversation with his dynasty warriors, really enough, like you're a super powerful dude just like mowing down enemies, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is it always feels like overwhelming and as soon as you like beat a bunch of enemies, it'll be like, "No, we have to go over here and do this thing," right? That it, it's really the way it sort of flips this language of like and like I'm not knocking Dynasty Warriors, like I think those games are at least conceptually cool, right? Um yeah. Like I think the Three Kingdoms history era of Japan is neat and like being able to like play in the anime of that while you're like mo- like killing dudes is like a perfectly cool video game idea right um, no for sure but I think the way you turn turn that on its head and make it about like how hopeless and fractured you are even, even though you have like tremendous power how like driven you are by like the game systems themselves and like the arbitrariness of the entire thing is like be neat um but it is also, yeah, like, it's also really, it's, like, tedious. And, like, all the weapons level up through, like, kill numbers. And so, anyway, and, like, to get the final ending, you have to get all, like, 65 weapons. It's a, like, thing, right? right. Um, I think Yoko Taro is, like, interested in the idea of, like, games as labor, right? Or, like, as work that you have to, like, put yourself through in order to, like, experience, right? Um, which I think plays, I think especially in Automata, plays in some interesting ways, especially given how that game like finally, finally wraps up. Yeah, I, I, know, I know that. I know that big ending. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, we, I, yeah, I don't want to spoil it for the audience, but, you know. But yeah. Yeah, no, um, yeah we shouldn't. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think at the very, like the thing about, uh, I think both Automata and this is that, that I appreciate, and this is like not a, this isn't praise exactly, um, is that there's instantly like a lot to chew on thematically. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and for it was hard for me as Thomas. I had such a hard time finding a hold for a while, but like immediately, it's like okay, there's all this stuff with like, um, like you know the, the the idea of the other, like how people get created, and like the idea of like imitating a person or like imitating an idea of humanity that you like maybe don't fully understand, or like mm-hmm. like performativeness is a big part of it, right? Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff with like digital interfaces and like um, you know, there's just like stuff going on, right? And, like, yeah, I think, you know, I'm a big proponent of the idea that, like, games, there's always stuff going on, even in, like, dumb video games. Like, you could write something, like, I mean, I'm not saying Halo has, like, particularly profound things to say about politics, but, like, there, that, there's a game with a heck of a lot of things that are going on in it, right, that you could write about. Um, like, it's not, it's um, maybe shallow in how it prevents itself, but presents itself, but you can still do a lot with it. But I think it's still really satisfying to play something and then immediately be like, oh, there is this is like doing a thing. And like I'm mm-hmm. satisfied in that, like sort of being able to unpack it. Right. Yeah. No, it always, it always feels good when like from a jump, I guess, a game feels like it's triggering, triggering that sort of critical analytical side of your brain. Yeah. But yeah, I guess on the, the similar vein of combat sequences where it involves you mowing down lots of. Uh, people i've been playing dead rising one yeah which just absolutely owns so hard yeah this is what (laughs) i've been like conceptually (laughs) i've been conceptually really interested in what that game is yeah it's um, like i love it's timer shit yeah and same me too and it's it's six bucks on xbox live right now so i just i bought it the other day yeah 
and I played. I've only played like three hours of it, but it's super, super, super. Um, it's just fun. Like it's just. It's definitely. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't super. Think engaging like nostalgia discourse is like something worthwhile, but. It yeah. definitely. Makes me yearn for, early three sixty era games. Right. Um, well, I think there is. Um... I mean, I think this, there's a material element, right, that as, as games have gotten so much more expensive, yeah. the ability for games to be sort of weird and abstract and risky is reduced. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of how I've been, I've been juxtaposing that with by playing Dying Light, which does a lot of very interesting things, but it, it does so through the, like, the guise of an amalgamation of every open world trope from 2015 onward. Yeah, no, that's like, I mean, like, I've been thinking a lot about Assassin's Creed Origins lately. Yeah, and like yeah, that's also just like a brilliant game wrapped up in the most like Yeah. Milk toast sort of I mean yeah, it's just stuff. like I, I think I, I tweeted about this at some point, but like it's wild to me how anti colonial that game is, like textually yeah. and how invested it is in like sort of articulating this like actually very pretty coherent <laughs> idea of like, you know, um I don't want to say like I don't know if indigenous is quite the right word to use, right? But, like, anti-imperial, anti-colonial politics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the necessity of, like, violence in those kinds of situations, right? Like, it's actually really interested in all this stuff. And, like, some of the side quests and main quest stuff, like, flesh it out in really compelling ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but also it's absolutely 100% a game where you go and, like, raid Alexander the Great's tomb to get his cool sword. <laughs> or whatever (laughs) right like that's yeah and then i don't know i mean even dying light like it's doing a bunch of like mindless bullshit i've seen through open world glut but like the story's terrible i skip almost every cutscene it's just yeah but it does the i mean i'm like rolling my eyes right now saying the environmental storytelling is good but it is like (laughs) yeah like the first half of that game it take you're in sort of the um it's like the uh, the more the more economically um, hindered, I guess, district. They give they call it they give it another name, but it's like they give they, it's called like the slums or something in the game, which is sort of just a very reductive term. But so like the yeah. first like ten or so hours of the game, it's like two story. It's a it's a first person parkour game, so it's like two story rooftops. Um, you're on the ground a lot before you make your way to the roofs. Like the ground is something you're okay with being on. It's just a means of extending your parkour transportation but then eventually you get to the upper class district which is like 20 30 15 story high buildings and you never want to be on the ground you always want to be above everything and everyone which is sort of a very on the nose way of portraying um wealth versus poverty right Uh, yeah but i think it works insofar as what that game is doing but i guess back to dead rising even dead rising yeah even though it features like a slab of a man kick-flipping a skateboard into zombies to explode their heads. I think it does interesting things thematically, like not tied to its story, but when you look at the Romero zombie movies and how anti-capitalist those sort of movies are, I think Dead Rising an interesting sort of juxtaposition to what those movies are doing insofar as, yes, this takes place in a mall, but in some ways it feels like a capitalist sort of consumerist fantasy. And not that you're not spending money but you're raiding these you're like raiding these stores and putting on these outfits um which a lot yeah. of the Romero's on movies do that but they're more critical of like why these people are enjoying doing that like why are they so excited to be right. uninhibited in this mall um 
Yeah, well, I think Which there's. Uh, doesn't I mean, there's an element with. Like yeah. it sort of takes one step in that direction, but sort of just stays as a consumerist fantasy. Which right. is a little bit of a bummer, but it's fun. Well, so whatever. Yeah, well, there, there's an interesting element I think of um, boop, 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 of Dead Rising um, that like you everything is a weapon, right? Like everything can sort of be used as like a combative element against the zombies, <laughs> yep. right? And so there's a way in which like the the reduction of like person as use right of object as use is like very blunt right and like turned into like this like this like ludic thing that's like everything is just to kill right um and that's you know that's like yeah that's like interesting stuff i've just been sort of playing much of that and we've talked about it before i'm not sure if we talked about it on the show but i'm very much of the mindset that as video games have gotten more expensive and consoles have gotten more powerful i'm just completely convinced that video games as a whole at least in the triple a slash double a space have gotten like fundamentally uglier as we sort of strive for this realism in games and like attention to like yeah. minute detail which can be a good thing but like when i'm looking at dead rising i find it more visually compelling than any open world modern ubisoft game or any of the sony prestige sad dad third person sims yeah well i think there's an element of um the way you know, when you have less time and, like, less actual space, right? Like, that's part of the thing is, like, the disc you're working with has actually less yeah. space, right? And so you have... you The way you, like, portray things and the what you put on the disc and, like, what you decide to focus on requires, like, decision-making. And that often is, like, um, you know, um, illustrative of, like, what the game is doing thematically mm-hmm. and, like, how it is, yeah. you know... And I think, of course, that still happens in, like, AAA games today, right? Of course, you're still constrained by budget and, like, time frame and, like, people, you know, this stuff, like, still happens, right? But you also have, like, so much more. And when you have, like, six studios working on a game and, like, one of those studios is just, like, being underpaid to make assets, yeah. right? And working, like, 30 hours to make a door open, right? Right. Like, you, the way you sort of interact with that stuff is fundamentally different, right? And, like, the the weight of those interactions gets um, diluted in some way, yeah. right? And, like, nothing makes me more discouraged in this, like, medium as a whole as the sort of... Well, a lot of the recent discourse on The Last of Us too, but something I saw where it was... For, like, days, I swear to God, people were, like, freaking out and sort of just, like, falling in love with and sort of, like, for lack of a more, like, critical term, sort of just, like, circle jerking over the fact that the rope moves like a rope does in real life in that game. Yeah. Like, that, mm-hmm. that like, I don't know. I don't, that should not do anything for anyone. Like that should not be a right. selling point of a game. Some, no one, no one should have to not see their family for months just to make sure that, make sure this rope moves right in an environment. Like, game, yeah, like, like games can be so much more than like how, than like seeing just a digital representation of how things like act and interact in our everyday life. Right. What's well, it? It's like literally like when Metal Gear, solid first came out i'm like whoa when you walk by the desk there's papers flying yeah like right? I, like, like i rather, I'd rather see thing. a i'd rather see a rope like jerk and like fall through a door and like clip through a wall than see it yeah I well i think that's sort of the thing is there's that that weirdness that is inherent to like video games and like it's impossible to avoid right like you are going to get stuff like that that happens right like i'm sure if i booted up uh like highlight reel yeah. or whatever there would be weird last of us 2 stuff there you know um but like that's um but that's something that's really unique 
about the medium, right? That's really beautiful and cool, right? Like I I I just played uh today I played um uh Connor Sherlock, I think is his name. Um the rapture is here and you will be forcibly removed from your home. <laughs> um and on the main menu, basically it's like this big open field and you go these like pillars of light and each pillar of light has like a section of a Lovecraft story. Mm-hmm. And this is like as the world is sort of dying and stuff. Um, you're like listening to these short stories. Um, anyway, it's like interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, one thing's about there's a toggle. If you press G, it would like change the the render distance for grass because you're like in this big field. <laughs> right and so you can just hit g and then it's like the grass and the far field just like disappears and it's like just like a flat mound <laughs> right yeah and that stuff is like cool it's weird and like and there's a lot of stuff in that where it's like you you know as sort of the moment gets closer to like coming where like everything's gonna die right like these weird like abstract geometric shapes appear and these like strange things are everywhere right and that um sensation of being in an environment that is like unreal and and strange and like could not exist in a real space right yeah um is really cool and like i i think like i wish games would leverage that stuff more and like like i think about like there's a couple sequences in um assassin's creed origins where you're like in the afterlife and it has some of this like weird abstract imagery right and like that stuff is really cool, and I wish games would like lean into that more. Yeah, and, um, and I think like something like Last of Us Two's emphasis on sort of like a, a weird simulacrum, mm-hmm. right? That like every character has like a heartbeat and, like, and whatever, right? All the dogs have names. Like, and like the like the bodies like fall apart dynamically. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like this emphasis on something that is not real, right? And that like hurts people to create, and then also is. Um, like kind of fundamentally uninteresting to me, right? Yeah, like I think that definitely. like I think the limits of a simulation are just as important as like what it allows you to do. Yeah. And every simulation that that is fascinating should foreground its limitations. Yeah. Right. Like I I'd rather see the walls um, break and distort than just for them to be walls. Yeah. But um I guess yeah, I guess the the cap off that sort of sentiment is I've been watching um since I don't have a gaming PC so I can't engage with them. I've been watching uh, sort of commentary free let's plays of Thief 1 and Thief 2 and I've just I don't know I I wish all games looked just stopped in 1998 and just continued to look like those games <laughs> yeah no I, I know exactly what you mean um, like I was sort of overwhelmed by how gorgeous um, Thief the Dark Project is like there's there's there bar- parts yeah. of it even though it's so rigid and like of it's time that like some of those visuals like on like I want to be moved to tears by them and the yeah. soundscapes in those games. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it's been like playing older games for me has been such a fun uh, thing because like, I mean, playing through final fantasy, like the PlayStation final fantasies, all three of those are some of the most visually spectacular games ever made. Yeah. Right. And um, I understand that a lot of that is budget, right? That is also like square had more money than God, right. In the nineties. And so, I mean, you, you, you... I think yeah, I think you have more money than God in those in those because I mean I think every Final Fantasy game just sort of culminates with you killing God. Uh, it's true, yeah. That's that's where all the money comes from. Is the is killing God. Um but like I like and the thing is a lot of that though feels res- comparatively restrained today, right? Where you have all these single shots and like 
the characters look kind of weird and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just so... But because of those limitations, because you have to shoot things from a specific angle, right? So much is communicated. You get, like, something, like, that's, you know... It's not it's not cinema exactly, but it's like it, mm-hmm. right? And I don't necessarily mean that to, like... I th- there are plenty of games that I really, really like that aren't cinematic, right, in this way. Um, but I think it's such a powerful visual language that we've just given up on, right? And it's such a tragic thing to me. There's definitely, like, I don't know. Nothing has been more... Well, this is... This is a hyperbolic statement, but not like this. Few things are as sort of like takes the wind out of my sails and my, like my passion for writing about games and engaging with them as like seeing a uh, Final Fantasy VII remake um, being touted as like looking better than Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, I just mm-hmm, same. Um, it's hard to think that way. I think there are things to like about that game, right? I think a lot of what it's doing thematically, like combat, yeah. looks cool, but I just don't think it's like a visually yeah. compelling game at all. No, I I would agree. Um... Um, although there are still there are some pre-rendered backgrounds in that game actually, which is yeah, kind of neat. yeah. Um, but they should all be pre-rendered, and everyone's arms should look like uh, <laughs> should look like big tent arms or whatever. <laughs> That's what you, yeah. Like it's the thing is, that, and a lot of that stuff is so expressive, right? Like I think a lot about like you know, not just to get into it, but a lot of Final Fantasy VII is like about the idea of like identity being fractured by like traumatic events right and people seeing themselves in like different light and so the fact that like there's multiple actually rendered versions of cloud that you see in the game right like you have the like cg renders right that are in the the like cutscenes, right mm-hmm. you have the like in combat things and then you have the like blocky in world stuff right yeah. and like the fact that there's like three different versions of him is like actually thematically interesting right like there is something being done fundamentally there oh yeah. right and um and just again like that the fact that we're like oh we're just gonna let that go because that was just because the the tech wasn't right you know is like is is really frustrating right and people do this obviously with film people are just like oh silent films we don't have like we don't care about that right even though there's so much to learn from them yeah right even with like black black um, and white movies or whatever yes yeah for sure but also i feel like people who make movies don't do that generally speaking (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> you know um which is to say i don't know part of it part of this thing and i think especially the the moment we've been living through with um with the pandemic and with all these um you know abuses and uh like sexual assault and harassment coming out um, lately is that we're all these everything is hell right and there's all these systems of power that like perpetuate themselves throughout like art and every medium and so i, I don't want to be like video games are especially bad yeah um, no i mean but also it's like hard to also in some ways they are i guess yeah um all the means of production and the like hierarchy power and dynamics and pretty much every field is thoroughly and like irrevocably fucked up but to see what's going yeah. on in games just i don't i don't know i don't know how we move past this without like fundamentally not restarting but then like i don't even i don't know how this changes yeah no i think that's and i think that's the thing is like it's it's really like imagining um a post-capitalist world right and like video games as they exist could not exist in capitalism right like it's fundamentally like you know the stuff that makes your controller vibrate is like mined from some place where the people are horribly treated i think it's pretty fair to say that from the screws that put your console together to what your fingers are interacting with to what is happening on the screen i think video games are one of the most like capitalist and like consumerist yeah like forms of art there's ever been 
Right. But then it's also weird because I think we're also at a point where we're seeing like a wider, um, I, I don't want to say exactly um, democratization, but that's kind of like, I mean, stuff like the itch.io bundle, yeah. right? Where it's like you have all these independent artists, um, and some of whom also like tabletop, I think is also interestingly, not, not free of these dynamics, obviously these power dynamics still exist, but in terms of like, ability to make something is like fundamentally less compromised right yeah all you need is a pen and paper, yeah, pen and, paper. and maybe some dice right yeah um but um you know people come together and trying to like make something happen for other people right is like really cool and i think shows that like i don't know i guess i like i believe that video games can exist <laughs> in the future yeah. but i do think that the way we envision them the way we think about them and the way they interact with ourselves and like, it's just going to like, there's, it is unimaginable to me. Yeah. Right. And I think, um, you know, it's not like the most, it's not like necessarily important work, but I think it is like valuable in some way to like start thinking about, okay, how does, how do video games, how do art, how do things exist outside of these systems that also like created them? And how can we start to imagine something that is different yeah. than that? Right. Video games. <laughs> video games. Um, this isn't related in the slightest, yeah. but, Back to your Jesus series of movies. Are you gonna watch? Would you watch? Would you count? Would you watch the De- Ken Russell's The Devils? Because Jesus, oh, Jesus uh, is in that for a second with a full-on seventies porn stash. I guess yeah. I did not. I like this sort of the thing is I'm wondering like because we we were thinking about putting Hail Caesar on there. Yeah. Um. But the thing is I'm like, does it um, like, is the limitation that it has to be about Jesus, like, like about Jesus's life, mm-hmm. right? Him just the Testaments, the right? Movie. Or is it like Jesus making an appearance in some way, right? Or being like presence, you know, which would be like dogma, right? Or, or hail Caesar. Or like the big Lebowski, I um, guess. I guess. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, well, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. We still <laughs> got to get through at least uh, six yeah. or seven more movies about later. Yeah, no, so. that's, just, that's just thought just popped in my mind. It's not... Yeah. But that'd be... I mean, no, it's be like... I, that's a movie I've heard a lot about but I've never seen, right? That movie's um, definitely doing some things. Yeah, well, that's also one of the things is, like, I think I read about it and, and this was also, like, four years ago when I was, like, a, a like, you know, a not lapsed Christian, right? And I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch yeah, this. Yeah. Um, like, it, and I wasn't... To be clear, I wasn't... Like, it sounded interesting, right? But I was just turned off by it. I think, I think it's um, reputation sort of oversells a lot of, like, what it's doing. Um, just because of, like, the, yeah. the impact it made in, like, um, the UK in the 70s. Then, like, once it was released in VHS in the 80s, it was, like, one of the video nasties. Just based off its, like, themes all around. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything... Yeah, I mean, I've played, I've played more games, but I think I'm... I think I'm I don't know if I have anything else to say about them. I think I am too. I guess I guess I'll give a quick Kingdom Hearts update. Yeah. Um, Hit it. Is that I've been I've been playing Birth by Sleep now, which is the PSP one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm playing on Xbox. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the combat in that game is unreal good. Yeah. Is it? Um, are you are you saying it's your favorite one so far? Yeah. At least how at least in how it plays, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. think. Um, Although I also really some of the stuff it's narratively doing I think is interesting to cool. me so far, but it's also hard because you all the stuff that interests me narratively about Kingdom Hearts is sort of outside of Disney World stuff, and that's like what those most of those games are, yeah. right? <laughs> it's like Disney World stuff. Yeah. Um, so, um, but like basically, 
how it works is like you have like a deck of commands and like it's like spells but also just like cool moves that you do with your keyblade and mm-hmm. stuff and so you have to like it's like a there's like a miniature like very small like deck building mechanic right where you put like seven things and then um and it's yeah it's really and everything's sort of on a timer so you can kind of use things in chains and so you really have to like be thinking about okay what abilities should i use for like this world or like this encounter right and there's been more than a couple times like i've been playing on proud which is like the hard mm-hmm. mode um where i've been like having trouble with a boss and been like okay like i should load my save instead of just restarting the boss battle and like figure out what my build should be right and then that changing fundamentally which is like something i haven't really done like needed to do in kingdom hearts right um and part of that is i've been playing on normal like i played two on normal right and i wonder if i played that on proud or critical if that would be like uh like more fundamentally interesting like character actiony experience yeah. right um but yeah but i think it's just really cool and i think it's one of the most compelling like rpgs and also like it feels sick to just like hit the y button and like your character like throws e blade and then calls it back and like it whacks into like like it just feels good it feels good in a way these games have never felt good to me before um yeah. which is yeah which is really neat so i'm i'm really enjoying that mm-hmm. um so far yeah uh, games uh, are happening but, but yeah. kind of we're playing them yeah well also i've been playing uh i've been playing more yeah like i just talked about uh the rapture the rapture is here and i'm trying to play more mm-hmm. small stuff um but i guess i can shout this out so there's a thread i have a thread on twitter it's at grace cool games or hashtag grace cool games um where i'm posting like stuff that i'm playing and then also i have a list on my itch io which i think is just grace in the machine um so I have a list on there that's like, like a list of games yeah. that I think are neat, right? And it, I'm gonna try and like play more small stuff and like fill that out. Um, so, but yeah, um, but yeah. I guess well, is there anything you want to plug, especially? I mean, uh, not right uh, now. Kind of, like, I, wrap up? I haven't written much lately, so yeah, I have yeah. nothing to plug. Yeah, no, it's I, one of I those weeks, that. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Um, I also have that piece on side quest about drag and Final Fantasy VII remake. Which yeah, we were just talking about it's very good too. You should all read it. Yeah. Um, like I mean, I get, yeah, I'm happy about yeah. it. No, it's 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 a very good piece. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm also like I I don't know I don't know maybe this will get me canceled online, but generally I like Judith Butler and so it's fun to write about her mm-hmm. too, even just a little bit. Yeah. Well, I guess I could. I was in the side quests um, June sort of roundtable. Oh yeah, uh, where I wrote about it was, about, it was the whole theme was summer games. I wrote about how NBA Street Volume Two is the epitome of summer video gaming to me. So if you want to read, and oh, I also yeah. I also make a wholehearted argument for why summer, at least pre college or pre after high school, is the time of gaming and snacking. So yeah, it's true. It is the time <laughs> of gaming and snacking. Um, uh, give that a look. Yeah, and just read SideQuest in general right side quest is really cool um and also yeah if you're like i don't know if you're starting out in like games crit and you're like hey like where should i where should i start writing like side quest doesn't pay but they're killer yeah. editors and it's a cool project so like you know anyway just like quick shout out to them and if you're interested in that then like give that a, On a similar wavelength i think um uppercuts pitches are open right now so yeah i think they're i think they closed today or they closed like a couple hours ago as of recording okay. um never mind but hey august is right around the corner you so, know i mean support them anyway do uppercut's it. doing some of the best work in this space right now yeah no i really i really think so um 
I'm really I'm so happy that my first game spyline with them was with them. I think it's like that's awesome. They're the best. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I've never written for so. them, but I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's my space to write for them either, per se. Yeah, I mean, you know, and Andrew's there. Andrew Cox <laughs> hanging out. Yeah, vibing. No, I'm more than happy to um, just support them. Yeah, yeah with yeah. my money and my clicks. Um, but yeah, I guess where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter mm-hmm. at colehenry19. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, yeah, uh, you can follow me at Grace underscore Machine on Twitter, and you can read things that I write at graceinthemachine.com and you can um, email questions for us to um, yes. questions qu- questions for idle talk okay let me look this up yeah I'm pretty sure that's what it is but um, I double check <laughs> questions for idle talk at gmail.com uh, I'm going to check if we've gotten any questions because I didn't look before we started recording oh yeah okay I'm happy to answer some questions uh, um, ooh Jackson has a question oh um, I guess uh Cue the music. This is question time. Question time. Question from Jack, um, also known on Twitter and in the Range Touch Discord as Hendrix Trog. Yeah, shout out to Jack. One of the most more entertaining people um, online. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. Um, hello. I'm gonna read his. I'm gonna read their email now. Hello, idlers slash talkers slash idler talkers. Has <laughs> has there inter- has there ever been a single shot of a film you hadn't seen at the time that made you want to see it ASAP? Ooh. For me, I'm still Ooh. waiting for the Green Knight for that shot of the giant hand. Oh hell yeah, that's a really really good um, choice actually, and <laughs> sent from my Jack phone. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Jack, a, uh, Jack does a great uh, Twitch stream. Yeah, uh, his, his talk his on Twitch, are incredible. So. Um, so to Jack. Yeah, definitely hit him up on Twitch. I, that's a really, really yeah. good question. Um, yeah, the I think I think of a couple. Um, yeah. So, I I don't remember under what context, but I've seen some of the final shots of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ooh, yeah. Where it's like her in the truck, like covered in blood, and like like kind of like screaming or like crying with joy at like escaping. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. That's something that's like stuck with me, right? Um. And oh, what was the other one? But well, you you say yours, and I'll maybe come back around. To the... Sure, I guess my most recent one is from uh, Lynn Ramsey's uh, "You Were You Were Never Really Here" um, from about two oh, years yeah. ago. There's a shot in that initial trailer for it of um, it was like a close up of two hands, two bodies in two hands, and you could tell that one of the bodies was like bleeding out, and they, the hands started holding one another, and that shot sort of did not leave my mind until I saw that movie. Yeah. There's also a really good um, uh, low angle shot that's panned up at a mirror and then that mirror is on the ceiling and facing the ground and then on the ground is someone um, being choked out and like their body like flailing and squirming and that shot for different reasons not in the beauty of it but in like the sort of blunt horror of it um, stuck with me. Yeah. Not recent. Um, Just that classic shot of um, Yojimbo walking towards all the enemy samurais near, near, before the final duel in Yojimbo is like something is a shot that I had seen for like over a decade like growing up before I saw that movie and that was something that was always just on my mind and then I eventually saw it and was like oh this sounds so those are mine <laughs> <laughs> yeah those, those are good ones um, so yeah my 
uh, I was talking with my friend Nina and just asked him like, hey, what are what are um, like frames that you just think about sometimes, like movie frames? Oh, yeah. um, and they had they had a frame from uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween um, that's like a like a woman um, that was very haunting, and then also a shot from Alien Covenant of like a xenomorph like standing in a spotlight. Oh yeah, it's like very Co- striking. Covenant, Covenant um, and that was both like those are movies I've been like meaning to watch, um, and that was very like, oh, I should really get on that. And also, um, a friend of mine, Charlotte, posted a um, some some screens from Glass, the Emma Shyamalan movie, the final in that trilogy. Um, they're like flashbacks to the Samuel Jackson characters, like childhood. And it's, it's color graded in these like very pastel, like comic book, like sharp colored way. And it's so beautiful and weird. And I was like, man, I should watch okay. those movies also. So those are my, yeah, those are really good choices. Uh, but yeah, that, that has been your fill of the question zone. Yeah. For, uh, this episode. Yeah. Thank you, Jack. Uh, yeah, and feel free to send us any questions we we hey i love questions i love a lot yeah. of questions are great and um i mean our fan base is vast <laughs> so i'm sure we can, so, uh, get <laughs> so i'll get i'm sure we'll get endless questions by the next time yeah. we record but yeah um if you have questions once again send them to questions for idle talk at gmail.com all one word yeah. um yeah shout out to admiral mapping to host us see Let me guess, fate of the undead.